God, we sing it, we believe it. You are so great. You are enthroned above it all. We can't even fathom the riches of your mercy, of your love, God. Amen. And yet we praise you. We praise you for who you are in our lives. We praise you for your faithfulness and how we know Amen. that you will come through. We know that you are faithful to the end. You are faithful to your covenant. Help us to believe that, God. Speak to our hearts through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. Kevin is going to come and share about the pastor's conference in Cambodia this morning. Colonel Elder is used to people standing up for him when he walks down the aisle, but we don't need to do that. I never stand up for him. Yeah, you good luck with that, right? Yeah, you're right. Okay, buddy, it's ready to go. Uh, good morning. For those of y'all that don't know me, my name is Kevin Elder, and I've been uh, privileged and blessed to help lead our Cambodian ministry for the past 11 years. For those of all that are, are new or, or don't know about our Cambodian ministry, I will take five minutes of your time. In uh, 2011, we were privileged, priv excuse me, privileged to meet Kyle and Amy Y. I won't go into the details, but it was a God thing. It really was a God thing. Kyle and Amy, as, as kids were persecuted by the Khmer Rouge. Most, they had family members that were murdered. Kyle was bayoneted and left for dead. His father untied him from a tree that he was tied to, picked him up, and in both Kyle and Amy, different routes. They didn't know each other back then, but they ended up in Fort Worth. They knew each other in high school. Tell hear Amy say it. She disliked Kyle greatly in high school. But after a while, they, they fell in love. They got married. They were Buddhist. You know? That's what you are when you're born in Cambodia. You're a Buddhist. They didn't know Christ. They didn't know about the love of Christ. They didn't know about the salvation of Christ. They didn't know anything about Christ. And quite frankly, until about 12 years ago, neither did I. But over time, and I'm not sure, I mean, we can hear the story from Kyle and Amy, but they both came to Jesus. And, and the thing that just doesn't make any sense is Kyle and Amy have a complete distrust for government because of what the Khmer Rouge did to them in Cambodia. And by any stretch any human measure, you know, when another man kills your family, you have a right to just absolutely hate them with all your guts. But they don't. They found Jesus, and all of a sudden, they had this overwhelming desire to go back to Cambodia, back to the very people that murdered their families, and, and, and share Jesus with them. And that's what they started doing. And, and we heard this story, and we started getting involved. And in March of 2012, I was, I'll admit it, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a believer then. I was starting to believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but it was more like I was part of the church, I was part of the family. I felt compelled to go to Cambodia. 
you know, as a duty, not as a calling of the Holy Spirit as we hear a lot. I was not called by the Holy Spirit. If I was going to be a Christian, I'm going to do it right, and that's what Christians do. They go on a mission, so I went on a mission. Our very first pastor's conference was in a very, very small classroom in a hotel overlooking the, uh, the Mekong River. And we had 10 pastors. 10 pastors. And the reason I bring this up is the, the growth has been incredible. We walked into an auditorium last Monday to 220 folks. I mean, it was unbelievable. It just... It just sucked the air out of my lungs when I walked into there. Because not only was it seven of the gents who we, who we, who we had at the first conference was there, but, but my goodness, a third of the people that were there were women. It was nuts. A third of them were women. And probably a quarter of them were under, 20, under 30. I mean, young men and women that just, that just wanted to hear the Word of God. Because when we say things like a pastor's conference, you know, we don't have a clue what that means in our American minds. Pastor's conference, right? They probably grew up Christian in a Christian family. Their father was a pastor. They decided to become a pastor. They go to seminary. And it's not like that in Cambodia. A pastor is somebody who found Jesus and wants to share, and they start their own church, and they've never studied the Bible. They don't know anything about the Bible. Lots of them don't know anything about the Bible, and yet they're leading churches. And when I say church, we have this image of a building, right? There's no buildings, you know? There's, there's churches in trees. There's churches under houses. There's churches anywhere they can get together and share the Word of God. It is absolutely nuts to participate in that. It's overwhelming to participate in that. And, and I, am, I, am, I am genuinely humbled, and I thank each and every one of you for allowing me to participate in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's something I wish that we all had an opportunity to experience. You know, the worship they do, it, it's not polluted. You know, it's, it's like when they worship God, they take off their mask and they just worship God. I mean, they do stupid things that I'm embarrassed to say that I did. You know, we dance, we do the, you know, I do this duck waddle song with them. It makes no sense because when you worship God, you should be able to take off your mask and just be who you are and worship God. I mean, it's nuts the way they do it. They pray. When they start a prayer, there's one person that volunteers, and he starts or she starts the prayer, and it's an out loud, out loud prayer. And all of a sudden, everybody starts to pray. You know, the whole room is filled with prayer, and this goes on for a minute, a minute and a half, two minutes, and all of a sudden, it starts to die out. And it's just overwhelming to hear these people worship God. And I'm just so thankful to be part of it. Kyle and Amy are doing wonderful things for us over there. About three years ago, we were fortunate enough, blessed by this church body, to be able to take Kyle and Amy from here and put them in Cambodia full time. So probably nine months out of the year, they live in Cambodia now. 
They're part of our church family. They live in Cambodia. I asked Kyle, I said, Kyle, how many churches are you in contact with? And he doesn't know. There's too many. I mean, we're guessing 60 to 75 churches around the country. You know, we, we had the Cambodian Comanches, Apaches, Cherokees, <laughs> the indigenous people, the Cambodian Cherokees, the Khoi people, they were there. I mean, just absolutely nuts and on fire for God. We had uh, uh, Pastor um, Tai and his wife were there for the first time. He's Vietnamese. So he's crossing the border between Cambodia and, and, and Vietnam. Again, there's no border there. It's just wherever the Word of God is needed, they take the Word of God. So Kyle and Amy are doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. And I got to tell you, they all know you. They all know you. They know Alito. They know the people from Church at the Crossing. And they pray. They pray like, I wish I could pray. And, and, and they know you, they love you, and they appreciate everything that we're doing for them. What they don't appreciate is what they do for us. You know, I've traveled to Cambodia, I think, 15 times, and I see many, many faces that I've traveled with, and, and you all know that it just changes your heart. It changes your heart to see poor people, hungry people, sick people, people who have nothing to be joyful for, but they're joyful. They're absolutely joyful, and it makes no sense. Lee and I were sitting on the front porch of the hotel room Thursday morning, and you're looking over, and there's a street family, a father, a mother, and a baby, you know? And I'm guessing they, they collect recyclables, and they live on the street, right? And, and the little baby is in a diaper that she's been in that diaper probably for three days, and it looks like it, and she's got an old two-liter Coke bottle, and she's having the time of her life. She doesn't know she's poor. She's got a father and a mother, and she's just happy. And that's the way the Cambodian people are with Jesus. They know they've got their salvation, so their circumstance doesn't drive their joy. Jesus drives their joy. And I love going over there to see that because it reminds me, you know, for the, for the, for the 49 weeks that I'm not in Cambodia, that I need to live my life that way that I can't let my circumstance drive my joy. I need to let my salvation drive my joy. So anyway, taking enough of your time, again, thank you for allowing us to go. If you are new to this church, if you're thinking about joining this church, we have a church leadership that doesn't say anything but yes. We have one of the best teaching pastors. Well, he's the only pastor I've ever known, but he's the best teaching pastor that I've ever known. I mean, to watch him teach people that you can't communicate with, that takes skill. It takes a lot of skill. And our pastor is a skilled pastor, and he's a skilled friend. So if you're interested in this church, man, just, just look around. We have some loving brothers and sisters who are committed to Cambodia, permitted to, uh, committed to Peru. We're committed to sharing Christ wherever the Holy Spirit sends us. 
and we have a church leadership that says yes to all of it, even when it doesn't make any sense. Cambodia, that doesn't make any sense from Alito. Cambodia, right? Some of you are going to go home and look on a map just so you can see where Cambodia is. It makes no sense at all. But it makes perfect sense when you, when you throw Jesus into the equation and you just follow the Holy Spirit, right? So if you don't think you're called to go, then choose to go. If you're not called to go, choose to go. And I guarantee you, if you choose to go, once you get there, the Holy Spirit's going to show you why you're there, all right? So any questions at all from Cambodia, I'd be more than happy to answer them. 220, my gosh, it just knocked the breath out of me. It really, really did. It was overwhelming. In the auditorium that we were in, it's big enough for 400, so we're going to keep going. We're just going to keep going and going and going. They are hungry for the Word. They are hungry for teaching, you know, and, and that's why we're there, just, just to teach and to love on them. And again, I thank you all for the opportunity to do that. Thank you. It's a wonderful job over there. It's a blessing to see the growth that the Lord's had in his life and Jamie's life, and he's, he's very effective, and they love him. He walked in first, and I, I, I do have this image of Colonel Kevin Elder walking into a hangar and seeing 1,500 Marines, you know, all, all locked tight because the colonel has walked in, and when he walked in, the, their salute is like that, and they all stood, and Kevin is well-known in Cambodia, and I appreciate his, his ministry there and his help with me. We have a lot of fun, but it's a long trip. It's tiring. Uh, I would say the food is difficult, but, oh, it's wonderful. We, uh, we found a French restaurant that's unbelievable, but we found the a Keimer restaurant that's outstanding. As a matter of fact, the cook of this restaurant taught Gordon Ramsay how to cook Cambodian food. I mean, uh, there's a video of her on YouTube, and she's she is a ball of fire and, and wonderful, and we've been introduced with her now, and Kyle and Amy will go back and share Christ with them. Kyle and Amy are doing great. You multiply, um, you know, here he's very, he and Amy, if you can imagine walking into that high school on that street over there in Fort Worth, down from TCU, Haskell, I don't, that's Berry Street. Walking in, not really being able to speak English, never having any real education in English, and you walk in to Pascal High School like a first grader that can't speak the English. And you can imagine the damage that happened. He's, the, the, uh, the teasing was horrendous, the hazing, the bullying was just horrible on them, you know, and that people would walk in and look at him and go, hon, chon, 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 and all that kind of stuff, and, and just, uh, they just harassed him. And, and so they grew up with all that and, and managed and did the best they can. And so when Kyle speaks here, very mild-mannered, very calm, very apologetic.
very ashamed of his English and all those kind of things, which means nothing to us, but to him it means everything. But in Cambodia, oh my. I, I've seen some real energetic evangelists in my day. Oh my. I wonder what Billy Sunday was like. I wonder what Leonard Ravenhill was like. I, I wonder what Gypsy Smith was right, like in his heyday. I think about those guys and, you know, and, and I sat there and went, Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, Gypsy Smith, you know, he's animated, he's energetic. They cry, they laugh, they shout out hallelujahs, they stomp their feet. I mean, he gets them up and then down and sideways and this way, and, and they're just rolling, and, and it's, it's amazing to see that happening. So much so that every session, he ends every session with a sermon. That's what we've developed into through the years, uh, less us, more him. And he did a whole bunch of preaching, and it's amazing to see the response that the people have to him. We had 15 profess Christ out of that group. They brought friends with them along. We got to meet the Khoi people, native people. When they dance and sing, it's very much like the Cherokee stomp dance where they go around the circle, but they, and they, but they don't, they go like this. We did a lot of it. It's just real easy dancing, just smiling, just real pleasant. And you can do anything and they don't seem to slam you too bad. And but they go around in a circle to the different, music's different, but after the service, that's how they would worship God. And the, the Khoi people brought an instrument with them. They brought a, one of those bongo things that we've got here, but some kind of special deal, but a, a, a long bow, not a cello, not a violin, but long, and it sounds beautiful though when they did it, and it was on. Beautiful, beautiful thing. And they had worn out their, their car that they bought about three years ago. They bought a used car, 2004 model, and they tore it up, wore it out, and so we got them a new truck. We bought them a new Ford with a diesel engine in it, the four-door Ford. It doesn't look like the Ford Rangers now that we have here because they're a little bitty, you know, if, if you bought one, you're, I'm sure it's a wonderful truck. But to me, they look like a little car, but this is more, more bulky. It's a truck chassis and all like that, with four-wheel drive so they can get to the native people, get to the mountains. And so before they were trying with their, their little sedan, but it was very difficult. So thank you for buying them a truck. And so we need to keep on going like we're doing. All right. Troubler of Israel. I'll share with you the message from Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through verse 8, 19 is our next verses in the study of the book of uh, 1 Kings pertaining to Elijah. Beginning verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In the third year, imagine three years without rain. Imagine that. Can you even imagine that? You've got to stretch your imagination. Imagine if it didn't rain here for three solid years. Wow, all the cows are gone, I would imagine. You had to sell them all, butcher them all. No hay. I mean, if there is any hay, I don't know how there'd be hay. Maybe somebody could water it. I, I, the hay has really gone up this year because of the lack of rain. Can you imagine 
$500 for a bale of hay? Is that even possible? I mean, I don't know. Can you imagine three years of rain? Can you imagine the, the wells you dig down deeper and you dig down deeper and finally there's just no more water? Can you imagine Benbrook's gone? Can you imagine Lake Fork is gone? Weatherford is really gone. There's right there. Matter of fact, they're probably racing if they, if they can get any water, you know, or, or get to it, and if the people can live, they're, they're probably racing those Can-Ams over there at Lake Weatherford. Don't you know that lake bed would be a great place to go motocross? No, no water in it whatsoever. I think it'd be great, you know. People have already got all the fish out. They've died, rotten bones everywhere. Imagine no rain for three years. A desperate, desperate time. Desperate Imagine and make the connection, the word of God is not honored. Imagine the gospel is not preached. Imagine three generations of growing up in a land where the word of God is not honored. It's not held as important, as significant. Imagine that the pastor never preaches the word of God. Save the whale, save the planet, accept everybody. Doesn't matter what your beliefs are, we should welcome everyone. Be kind, be gentle, but don't, don't ever be objective or ever be opinionated about right and wrong because right and wrong is never right and wrong. It depends on the person. Imagine a world like that where the word of God is not honored, it is not taught, it is not spoken of, it is old-fashioned, it's archaic, it's for a people of another day, another time, but we have become enlightened and we have gotten to the place in our lives where, you know, we have just overcome this concept of a God. Imagine no moral boundaries in a society. Imagine no boundaries to criminals. Imagine that. Imagine that the criminal element is just accepted and and. And people have become so educated in their God, which would be education and knowledge and social things, that, that there'd be just no, no morality in check for people. You can just pretty much do whatever you want to do. Imagine a time that is so desperate like that. Well, that's how they find themselves here, except it's both of them. It's no water. And it's no concept of God. It's no water for the crops, no water for the animals, no water for society, and no respect for God. After all, what did the first thing that, that Ahab and Jezebel do when they were crowned, coronated as the king and the queen of the land? They added Asherah, Asherah, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of healthy babies, healthy livestock, and things like that. And the worship of that was put right beside the worship of Yahweh God. And it was a pole, and people would come and worship Asherah. Also, Baal, that, that weird, you know, elk-looking being or ram-looking being that was there. And, and people would come and bail down, uh, 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 get on their knees to Baal. Is it Baal to Baal? Uh, bow to Baal. I couldn't think of what the word was. Thank you for being 
so wise. I think where I'm from, we bail. I don't know. Maybe that's down in there somewhere for a reason. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And the very one thing that Baal was supposed to do was produce water. And Ahab had led people so far away from God, they couldn't see God. It is a horrible, 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 desperate time. And you have three experiences of that desperation. It says there in verse 2, So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah. Obadiah is like his second in charge, perhaps. He's the guy that manages all the logistics and things like that. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Isn't it interesting that we see once again in a horrible, godless administration, God somehow or another, Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, and Obadiah here in Judah, that God somehow or another places his one, his man, his, his servant right where he needs to be, right there. Head of the household, Obadiah, fear of God in a land where there's no uh, uh, preaching the gospel, the land where God was not honored, was not revered. Here you got him, stuck right in there, close with Ahab. Whew. Can you imagine the tough spot Obadiah's in? God always puts his people in desperate times in that tough spot for purpose. Verse 3, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Well, what a risk that is. Ahab in a tough spot. Ahab stretching out there. Ahab risking his neck for God's prophets. He found them a place to hide and he fed them. Now, you're going to feed them, you're going to have to show up over and over and over and over. And so he was willing to risk that much for God's people. Verse 5, and Ahab said, Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. The valley, the spring of Gihon, I'm sure, was visited. The, the, all the springs throughout the land, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive. Maybe we can find some activity. Maybe we can find some hope here. Go and find, and, and maybe we can find some way that, the, that the, the, they will not lose some of the animals. So in verse 6, they divide the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Smart move, right? Divide the territory. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go tell your lord. Behold, Elijah is here. 
And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? What do you got against me here? What's the deal here? He said, how have I sinned? What have I done? What have I done to be in this mess, this pickle, this I mean, what am I going to do about this? You know, I just can't walk up to Ahab and say, by the way, when I was looking for water, I found Elijah. I mean, they've been looking for Elijah. Elijah is on the top of the 10 most wanted men of Ahab and Jezebel. You, you knew where he was all the time, Ahab. You, I mean, uh, Obadiah, you can imagine the, the fire that would fall on Obadiah. But Elijah just walks up and says, go tell Ahab I'm here. I'm here finally. The Lord told me to come. Remember, it says in, in verse 1, after many days where the Lord come, I've been waiting for the day to come meet Ahab. He just hadn't been the day yet, and now's the day. Now's the time. Obadiah, just go go take me. Just find Ahab. Let's get it on. And Obadiah, he's just beside himself with that. Why? You remember, he's between a rock and a hard place. He has been placed there. When life is really desperate and life is really difficult, and, and when when life is without water, without spiritual values, we often find ourselves between rock and hard place. You've probably worked for someone and you're a believer and you're trying to live by Christian principles and you're trying to be upright and just and, and you're trying to do the right thing and you're in a world where that becomes increasingly different these days. To be moral, to be upright, to be trustworthy, to not excuse things, in the, in the corporation, in the government, in the business that you're working in. You know what I mean? You know, trying to, to be, be godly in a godless society is difficult. And the truth of the matter is, the more, the more out of line our, our society gets, the more desperate our world gets, we are going to be called on more and more to be in that hard place as God's people. And I reckon we ought to get ready for it. Don't you find that these days, these days more than other days, these days more than the past, by you speaking up about what is right and wrong is somehow or another today just unheard of, unlooked, misunderstood. I mean, really? I mean, you believe in God? Really? Haven't, didn't you go to school? Aren't you educated? You mean to tell me you believe that old-fashioned stuff? I mean, just take your values, take your morality, and just, just go away. I mean, that's a desperate day. We're finding ourselves in that desperate day. And Ahab has pushed that, and Obadiah is in that hard place. And so he says, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. I mean, it's been an exhausted, exhaustive process here to find you. Are you just going to show up with me? I don't think so. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom of nation that they had not found you. This is serious now. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you 
I know not where. You know, Obadiah's going, God's going to take care of you, but not necessarily me. <laughs> I'm not risking myself with that. I mean, there's no way. And, and when that happens, man, he will kill me. Although your servant have feared the Lord from my youth. I don't see a winning deal here for me, Obadiah says. It says in verse 13, he says, Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, and Elijah said to the man in a hard place, and Elijah said, <laughs> Elijah has heard him out. I don't believe Elijah's not listening to him. And Elijah hears him out. By the way, if you have done the Enneagram study, Elijah is an eight. And he's not always in good shape as an eight. But he's definitely an eight, and we know he is by response. He's heard Obadiah. He's heard Obadiah's difficult position. He's heard him out, but here's his response in verse 15. As the Lord lives, as the Lord of the host lives, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, you got it bad, but get over it. What are you whining about, Obadiah? The Lord lives. What's your problem, Obadiah? The Lord lives. You mean to tell me you're going to whine all your way through this ordeal? What do you mean? If God has kept you alive so far, then God's still going to keep you alive. What are you griping? What are you whining about? The Lord lives. That's what Elijah would say. That's what the prophet would say. That's what he would say. Get over it. Pray. Have you prayed about it? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you believing the Lord? Are you believing in your whiny, whiny situation? Man, grow up. Get up. Get up and do something with yourself. But man, don't be afraid of your situation. As the Lord lives. If the Lord lives, Ahab can't mess with him. If the Lord lives, you can't be whiny about your situation. I mean, if the Lord lives, what is the problem? That's what Elijah says. He says it just like a prophet would say. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely, I will surely show myself to him today. There's nothing you can do about it, Obadiah. I'm going. I'm headed towards Ahab. You point the direction. I'm moving that direction with or without you. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Oh. So when Elijah tells Obadiah, is the Lord alive or not? That's basically what he says to him. Is the Lord alive or not? Answer the question. Is the Lord alive or not, he says to him. And, and, and Obadiah goes, yeah, he's alive. Then let's go. If the Lord is alive with you here, then he's going to be alive with you meeting Ahab. 
Let's go. And then that's the truth of the matter for all of us here today. If the Lord was alive when you were saved, he's the Lord is alive now with you. If the Lord has met your needs in the past, he's still alive today, he's going to meet your needs. And if he is still alive, regardless of what you go through in the future, no matter what Ahab's you got to face, no matter how long it's been that it hadn't rained, no matter how outnumbered you are as a Christian at work, if the Lord is alive, he is alive. And if he is alive, he is going to be alive. And if he is alive, he's still alive. And if he is alive with all that power, he still has that power. No matter how bad of a boy your Ahab is, if the Lord is alive, you have absolute victory for you. You have confidence. No one can whip the Lord. Put it in those terms. No one can whip the Lord. He's the heavyweight champion. He's a lightweight champion. He's a featherweight champion. No one can beat him. He's always a champion. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And if he is alive, is the Lord of hosts alive, Obadiah? Well, yeah, surely. It, then, then surely I'm going to see him today. The showdown is on. So well, what does Obadiah do? All right. So verse 16 says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. I found him. I'll take you to him. Here we go. Now, Obadiah was in a hard place. We find Ahab in a blind spot, a blind spot. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I love that. You're the trouble of Israel. All of our problems, all of our problems, no water, no morality, no belief in God, no spiritual life. It's all your fault, Elijah. My George, you're the trouble of Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Trouble of Israel, I'm not the trouble of Israel. You are. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the tension? Can you imagine what's going on between Elijah and Ahab? Nobody talks to Ahab like that except Jezebel. You know Jezebel talks to him like that. But here's Ahab with all the power, all the might, in control of all the prophets, in control of all the army, has it all under his scroll. Elijah says, no, 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 no. You're not getting by with that. You're blind to it. You're blind to reality. You don't see how things really are. You're saying, I'm the reason for all the problems in Israel. I'm here to tell you, Ahab, you're the reason for all the problems in Israel. Ahab didn't see it. He had a blind spot. You got a blind spot? You know what a blind spot is, don't you? It's that place in your car, your vehicle, your van that you're blind to. It's that little place where you're going to drive home today and you're going to start moving over and someone's going to... They were in your blind spot. Blind spot. You didn't know they were there. You didn't recognize they were there. He has a blind spot. He really believed that the decision he made was going to prosper the kingdom. 
He was blind to the reality that God would judge him for his Baal worship, that God would judge him for his Asherah worship, that God would judge him because he was denying the Lord God. He was blind to it. Just like today, when people live like there's no judgment to come, there's no conviction of sin, there's no conviction of righteousness, when you can live without any morality whatsoever, that there is a judgment coming. People are blind to that today. They believe that their decisions are okay and justified. They're blind to it. And he had a blind spot. You got a blind spot? You need to ask the Lord about it. Lord, what am I blind to? What do I not see? What do I not recognize? It could be that Jesus is Lord of all. It could be that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. You're blind to that. You're just not believing any of that. It could be that you're blind to the calling of God on your life. It could be a sin that you're blind to. It could be an awareness that you're blind to. It could be something in your life that's, that, is, that is going to be judged by Almighty God, but you're blind to it just like Ahab was blind to it. He was in a blind spot, and because he was in a blind spot, things were not going to get better, and blind spots always blame other people for things the way they are in their lives. You're the trouble of Israel. You're the problem we got here. Well, I'm not responsible for it not raining. And Elijah says, you are responsible for it not raining. All these people in your land are suffering because of your sin, Ahab. I mean, all of us need to have an awareness about our place, whether or not we're blind to a truth. We're blind to the reality. And thank goodness the Lord will help us. And so you've got Obadiah in a hard spot, and you've got Ahab in a blind spot. But now, look at Elijah, verse 19. Elijah. We're going to find out Elijah's not perfect, but here he looks to be. We're going to find out he doesn't always make the right choices, but boy, he's sure positioned here to be. And I'm here to tell you the most Stable place to be in in life is no matter what's going on, you're in the will of God. No matter what's happening, you're doing the right thing. No matter what's happening, you're following God. You're listening to his spirit. You are acknowledging his presence. You are believing him. You are trusting him. You're not, you're not, you're not, you know, I can't think of the word. It starts with a C and it's a fancy word. Complacent's a good word, but that's not it. One, I'll give you a dollar if you give me the right word. What do you do when you uh, give in to people? Ah, compromise, what a word that is. You remember that now because I had no idea what that word was. When we compromise, compromise. Verse 19, now therefore sin and gather all Israel to meet me at Mount Mount Carmel. (laughs) Can you imagine that? How many prophets does Elijah think is with him at this point? None. Elijah knows at this point, from what he knows, he's all alone. I got a squaring off place. It's on top of Mount Carmel. Get all your people there and meet me there. You know he's in a good place. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and the 400 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's 
table. Get them there. Show them up. I'm going to be up there waiting on them. We're going to go to the top of Mount Carmel, which, by the way, overlooks the Valley of Armageddon, which is freaky. And by the way, from the top of Mount Carmel, you can look out there and you can see the Mediterranean Sea and you can see if a cloud starts blurring over there to come and rain for the first time in three years. And you can look across the Armageddon Valley and see where it's going to happen one day. But he says, let's go to the top of Mount Carmel. I'll meet you there. Do you see the faith? Do you see the faith of him here? Do you see the awareness of God? Do you see that he understands he's on safe ground, secure ground? You know why? Because when it's you alone with Almighty God, you are invincible. That's what this scripture says. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult they are, no matter how desperate times are in which you live, when it's you devoted to God, you are victorious. When it's you alone, devoted to God, meaning business, squared away, no matter what befalls you here, you will see the victorious hand of God. You'll see it. That's what I see here in this word. For desperate, desperate times, you might be an Obadiah for a time in a hard place. You might find yourself like Ahab in a blind spot, you might wake up to that, repent, confess, and then you might just see yourself like Elijah in a good spot, ready to face the enemy all alone, but with God. Whew, what a place to be in, Elijah's place, strong, firm, under the powerful hand of the Lord, no matter what. You fill in your no matter what's. What are those things? You can name them. Father, may your will be done. Help us, Lord, to obey your word. Help us, Lord, to live, live a life of faith in these desperate days, which I believe we're in. Lord, there's a lack of morality. There's a lack of common decency in our land today. There's a lack of, of common sense today, Lord. There's a lack of it. All around us, Father, people are struggling with morality and they're struggling with, with, Father, the idea of you even being Lord of all. And Lord, I pray that you will show yourself on top of our Mount Carmels that you are indeed Lord of all. Glory to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.